Thanks, Sarah, very much. Ooh, that's loud. Thanks, Sarah, very much, especially with all those names. Um, you might like to keep that um, uh, chapter of Genesis open. Uh, and some of you might remember uh, way back when we started, when we first started this series in, um, in Genesis, uh, I told you the story of the, story of the famous tightrope walker, uh, Charles Blondin. Anyone remember him? Yeah, a few of you. Some of you won't have been here. Oh, yeah, Essie very much remembers. And um, do you remember, does anyone remember what he walked across on a tightrope? Uh, not quite to the... What did he string a tightrope across and walk over? Anyone remember? A waterfall. The Niagara Falls, in fact. Giant waterfall. And um, he did this, you know, obviously a crowd were gathered to watch... And he asked them if they thought he could do it again with someone in a wheelbarrow wheeling them across. And obviously the crowd shouted yes, but he wasn't content with that. So he asked them then, who is going to get in it? And unsurprisingly, no one puts their hand up. Um, I was going to demonstrate, but I thought probably I didn't have the skill and everyone would be right not to volunteer if I did. Um, but as we've um, been reading the story of Abraham together for the last three months, uh, it's, it's built up this picture of what faith looks like, uh, which we might have felt like if, if we've been here week after week, we, we've grown in our understanding about what faith is. But the writer of Genesis and God who lies behind it wouldn't be content with us nodding along, feeling like we know more. Now God asks us, as it were, to get in the wheelbarrow. Not just to acknowledge the truth of it, but ourselves to have. And the final chapter here of, of Abraham's story um, drums home that, that key point uh, to us about faith and having faith. That is the um, New Testament lesson uh, that is drawn from the story of Abraham. If you keep a finger in Genesis 25 and uh, open up page 1209, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we've um, uh, seen this before as well. This is um, uh, the way that the New Testament draws out lessons from Abraham. It's worth turning it up because I'm going to read uh, a chunk of it from verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people, Abraham and those he's just talked about before him, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. 
If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And then um, look at the end of the... He mentioned some other people through the history of Israel. But look at uh, verse 39. By, uh, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, their story only finishes with us. Because they were looking forward to the same thing we are looking forward to. And they needed the same faith that we are to have. That's what what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. And so, as we finish our series uh, in Genesis 12 to 25, uh, we need to learn and remember what faith should look like in the lives of of God's people. Uh, We've talked about uh, life in the gap. God has given us his very great and precious promises, and we have not yet received them. That's what Abraham's life was a whole story about. God gave him these promises, and he didn't receive them. Even by the time he died, he didn't receive them, at least in full. Uh, But his life shows us how to keep going in the gap. So the uh, three things in particular I'd like to to touch on today, both from uh, Genesis 25 that Sarah just read for us, and uh, through that, looking back over Uh, the previous uh, however many chapters it is. Um, So the first thing, perhaps surprisingly, uh, as we come to the kind of conclusion, the glorious conclusion at the end of uh, Abraham's life, is about the mess he's made. Uh, And uh, here's the lesson. Have faith when you mess up. Have faith when you mess up. Uh, That's from verses 1 to 6. Real faith, you see, is messy. Uh, And we see both... Abraham's act of faith and his failure of faith here in uh, verses 1 to 6. Have a look back down. Uh, because, verse 1, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. Uh, and then uh, have a look down, verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Now, let's be clear. The Bible doesn't commend Abraham as an example in every way, very obviously. The Bible is really clear that having concubines is wrong. Sex and marriage are to be exclusive and lifelong. Now, the fact that that, what he did was very normal in his culture, he just did what everyone else was doing, doesn't override that or excuse him, although we need to be careful not to cast the first stone. Abraham fails. He has blind spots. shouldn't surprise us that he fails in this way. Uh, He's actually failed in all sorts of other ways throughout the story. Uh, And if you've been with us, I'm sure you can remember a few of them. And I guess in a sense, that's the fascinating thing about the story of Abraham. If you read it uh, all the way through, it's so real. 
Abraham isn't just a, a, a perfect hero, and he's not a villain. He's a bit like us. Life is messy. He fails, and he has to live with the consequences of his failure. Abraham's life has been complicated, even after he came to faith, even after he obeyed God's call to, to come with him. It, his, the picture, this portrait that is presented of Abraham is 3D. It is complex. And doesn't that help our faith in this story? When you read other ancient accounts, I don't know if you have done, but go to, I don't know, the British Museum or, or something like that and read some accounts that were written this long ago of what had happened before, of their ancestors. And it is nothing like this. It is nothing like as human or as real or as good and bad all mixed up. It, it's messy. This is real and gritty and reality. And here's the, there's a demonstration of what, what faith really looks like in amongst the mess. It's great for us. It's great for you if your life is sometimes a bit of a mess. I hope you realise that your life is sometimes a bit of a mess. I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone whose life isn't a bit of a mess. When they don't realise it, that just shows their own blindness to themselves. But Abraham knows his life is a bit of a mess, and still he has faith. When he's about to, to die, he has to work out what are the consequences to be of his failure to obey God. Uh, he decides to leave all his uh, inheritance to the son that God said would be his heir, Isaac, even though he had these other sons, whom no doubt he was very attached to, that he loved, that he wanted to do good to. And he needed to work out how to believe God's promises about the one heir, his one son, when he has these other sons as well. And he does so with generosity and love. He gives gifts uh, to these other sons, and he enables them to, to flourish in their own spheres, and he obeys God in making God's chosen heir his heir. And in a sense, this is a model for us of what faith looks like when you mess up. It is a model of repenting and believing. A repenting, turning around from the wrong way that you've got, gone and believing, having faith, trusting God to, to go his way. That is the lesson we've been learning from Abraham throughout. Uh, God wants us to know, and he tells us actually right through the whole Bible again and again, the hallmark of faith is not perfection, which is great news. There is only one perfect man who's ever walked this earth. And he's not in this room today physically. He's with us by his spirit. He can help us. Each of us messes up ourselves. Abraham's story is marked by real faith and real failure. And so will ours be if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Think about what we've seen. Back in chapter 12, Abraham was uh, called to go, to leave his forebears, uh, to leave his home, to leave everything he'd known. Massively costly. He was very old already. And the people in the land he was going to, that, that God told him to go to, were scary people. And God made uh, some massive promises to him. 
He was going to give him a place, a land for his descendants to live in. A people, a family as numerous as the stars in the sky. Uh, God promised him protection. God said, I will have your back. If anyone fights you, I'll fight them. And a plan. He said, I'm going to use you and your line to bless the whole world. Amazing, massive promises. And an encounter with God. And what's the next thing we find out in chapter 12? What does Abraham do? Well, full of wonder and amazement and worship. He goes to Egypt, is scared enough of Pharaoh that he pretends his wife is, is his sister and lets him go to pretend to be Pharaoh's wife and it all goes wrong. And, and in case we think, oh, well, he's just made a mistake and I'm sure he'll learn from it. He does the same thing again a few chapters later with a different king. A real faith in God's promises and a real mess he makes of following God. Inconsistent. Real faith, but a mess. Uh, after the Egypt debacle, he goes back to the promised land. He trusts God. Uh, he accepts God's forgiveness. He, he lives, uh, as, as Mark taught us, he, he, um, uh, he thinks with his ears rather than his eyes. Not what he sees, but he, he believes what God says. And then, chapter 16, he forgets to do that. He, um, he knows that God has promised him and Sarah a son. It just doesn't seem to be working. Uh, she's not getting pregnant. And so he goes DIY on the promise that God has given him. He, um, he sleeps with uh, his slave girl, Hagar, and they have uh, a son, Ishmael. And then... God reminds him again of his promises, and, and Abraham turns back again. He, he takes God at his word, goes his way, begins to see life and relationship with God. But do you see what the, the story's done? It's kind of, it, it's gone from obedience, real faith that takes real courage, to failure, to obedience, to failure, to obedience. To... And you know what? As I look back at my life, that's the story of my life too. I think that is the story of every genuine believer. Faith and failure, all mixed up. If you're here and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe this is a help to you. If you're not a Christian, listen to Abraham's story. In order to follow Jesus, you don't need to have perfect faith. You don't need to have perfect will and self-control. You don't have to imagine that you're never going to fail. You've just got to be willing to repent when you do. To turn back around and listen to God again. One of the most um, common problems in the Christian life is that of doubt. My experience is that the most doubt, not all, but most doubt is really about our own faith. Uh, when we doubt that our faith is real, that we have a real relationship with God, that he could really uh, forgive us. When we doubt our, that our faith is real, normally because of our substantial and recurring failures. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever have those sorts of doubts? Perhaps there's some sin that, that you keep falling into, you know, if you really trusted God, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't 
think this way or feel this way or speak this way or do that thing. And yet again and again you fall into it. And so you get to thinking, well, can I be a real Christian if I keep sinning in this way? Well, the story of Abraham teaches us, yes, you can be. Your faith can be real and marked again and again by failure if it is marked by real repentance. It's not a question of whether our uh, obedience outweighs our disobedience. We're not meant to read these stories and think, oh, is Abraham a hero of faith or not a hero of faith? No, that's not the question. It's a question of whether we repent, we turn back to God. When we sin, do we confess it and return to the Lord's way? It's no good uh, walking away from God, doing all sorts of good stuff to try and balance the scales and, and make up for it. Faith can be real in the mess if it's marked by real repentance. Remember, Abraham does send away these other children, painful as that that will have been. And, and don't for a moment think that we're to send children away like Abraham. We're not Abraham. We're not the line from which the promised saviour of the world was going to come. And we have all sorts of family makeups here at Grace Church. We're not like Abraham in that way, but we are like him in this way. We too, in the mess, are to repent. Actively, concretely, whenever we sin, in whatever way we mess up. We can't, uh, like Lot did, just play with sin, pander to it. That will have disastrous consequences. We do need to repent. But repentance is always possible for each one of us. And as we do that, today, even this morning, we can have real assurance that our faith is real faith. So, lesson one, have faith when you mess up. Because, and here's why that works. Second thing, have faith because God is faithful. Uh, at the end of his life story, Abraham's um, uh, story displays God's faithfulness. Uh, you, you, might, you might not have noticed that at, at, at first reading. But when you stop and think about it, particularly verses 7 to 11, and, and indeed the next few verses, verses 12 to 18, which we didn't read, point us to God's faithfulness. And think about it. Verse 7, Abraham lived um, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man full of years was gathered to his people. In Genesis 15, 15, God had said to Abraham... You will die at a good old age. God's promises, even the incidental ones that, that, that um, we might not have noticed, come to pass. And he was gathered to his people. God gives this hope, even in Christian obituaries. I know this doesn't seem like very much. You might have kind of glossed over it. Uh, he um, died, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. But this is talking about something. He's gathered to his people. Something that happens between his death and his burial, which isn't those things. He's reunited with Sarah and others 
who have died before. Of course, this truth gets clarified and expanded for us in the other 65 books of the Bible, but God is faithful even in our deaths, even in the moment that looks like a final defeat. God can deliver what he promised. Remember Hebrews. Abraham died without all these promises having happened, but death was not the end. He was gathered to his people, and God's promises would be fulfilled. Uh, verse 9, where was he buried? Well, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. In case we don't get the significance of that, remember, verse 10, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. Remember, chapter 23, Abraham had purchased the cave of Machpelah, which might not have seemed like a particularly exciting moment. There was this property negotiation Perhaps, um, perhaps you remember, uh, and unless um, you're in real estate, perhaps the, the property negotiation didn't seem very exciting. But it was really exciting, because remember what God had promised? He promised that this land would belong to Abraham. And this was the first tiny chunk of the land, officially belonging to Abraham. And so even in Abraham's burial, we're being reminded God has been beginning to fulfil his promises. He is faithful. And then uh, verse 11 after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac. He then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. Why does he say he lived near Beer Lahai Roy? Well, because our memories will be stirred. Anyone remember Beer Lahai Roy? Well, it, it would be easier if, um, if it was translated into what that name means. Uh, the well of the living one who sees me. Anyone remember that? The well of the living one who sees me. That name was given to it because... That's where God saved Hagar, where he rescued her, like he had promised to Abraham that he would do, that he would look after Ishmael as well as Isaac. God did, after, did, did just as he had promised. You see, God's faithfulness is the, the, the kind of the melody that runs through all of these chapters. It's the jewel that you can see. Uh, under all of the kind of dust that's, that's happening, all the, the dirt. It's, um, it's a bit like that present under the tree. I don't know if you started buying your Christmas presents yet. But sometimes, you know, there's that present under the tree, which is quite small, perhaps wrapped in, you know, plain paper. But turns out that is the best one. That's the one that's most exciting. Often God's faithfulness is that. You might not notice anything particularly special about it when you first read these chapters. It turns out this is the thing that we really need to hold on to. God's faithfulness is really the subject of the whole story of Abraham. The story of God's faithfulness to his promises, to Abraham and through him, to us, to the whole world. God's faithfulness, which we saw actually, remember those big promises that God had given Abraham, uh, a, um, a place, a people, a protection, a plan. We saw those things beginning to, to work themselves out in his um, confrontation with these kings of these great armies, which, um, you know, who seek to attack Abraham's family. Remember what God had said? Those who fight you, I'll fight. Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Uh, God demonstrated it, uh, his faithfulness, in chapter 15, when um, he got Abraham to cut up the animals. We cut up a chicken in here. And uh, who was it who walked through the animals? It wasn't Abraham. 
It was God, that's right. God walked through the animals. As if to say, I will be torn in half before I break these promises. And chapter 17, the covenant would require something of, of Abraham, his, his, his descendants. Circumcision, the, this outward symbolic sign of, uh, of the, the, the cutting off of the sinful nature that, that it would require. But even in this response that, that God requires of his people, he is faithfully at work in them, fulfilling his promises to them. He, Abraham's very obedience is how God delivers his promises to make his people his very own. Remember uh, the, the next chapter, chapter 18, when God came to sit, at, sit down and eat uh, with his people, with Abraham, and spend quality time with him. And do you remember what he did, when, when God, what God did when he spent some time with his people? He renewed his promises. He reminded, the, reminded Abraham of what he's doing, and he let Abraham hold him to his character and to his promises. In, what, in revealing his plan, uh, what he was going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, um, and listening to Abraham's complaints to demonstrate his faithfulness. God is faithful. And that is why we can have faith. Faith. People often talk about faith. You know, I wish I had your faith, that kind of thing. Faith is not about any of that. It's not about how strong you are. It's not, about, it's not even about you. Faith is saying God is faithful. It's getting in the wheelbarrow because you know God will make, make it to the other end with you. Have faith because God is faithful. And then finally, uh, one more lesson to draw out from the pass- this passage of this book. Have faith. The future depends on God and not men. Particularly um, uh, zooming in on verse 11. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac. If you know the story of Genesis, you, you might know Isaac is, is really no Abraham. Uh, he's, 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 not, um, uh, he's not great. Abraham, though flawed, uh, was in some senses a great man. Isaac just isn't. <laughs> if you read the story. And largely speaking, actually, the, 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 um, the line goes downhill for quite a while. But here's the thing. The future of Abraham's family does not depend on Isaac. It doesn't depend on there being a great man around amongst his people, a great leader. It depends on God. Really, this is just a specific application of the previous point, because God is faithful, he will do it. But this, I think, is a really important thing to notice. God's cause is not frustrated by the availability of a great man, nor by our inability. Sometimes we can look back to bygone heroes with longing, I don't know, Billy Graham or John Stott or John Calvin or Athanasius or... Tim Keller or, you know, whoever it might be that, that we think, oh, if only we had someone like that who could sort us out, who could answer all the questions that we're grappling with. Now, I don't get me wrong, they, those guys were, were great, they were valuable, God used them wonderfully. But the future does not depend on us having someone like that amongst us. God blessed Isaac, even Isaac, Just like he blessed Abraham, he can bless us 
as well. Perhaps we look back at someone who has a great influence on us in the past and who's gone now. Someone who's just so brilliant or so full of integrity. They just shone with God's glory and, and there's no one like that anymore in our lives. I think God wants to say to us, if that's the way we feel, you're looking in the wrong direction for power or for glory or for help. I am here and I'll do it. We've seen in so many ways through these chapters, I'm not going to rehearse all of them, that our future is, is uh, with, in God's hands and the future of the world is in God's hands. Uh, but remember chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. When the world turns away from God... It will meet destruction. There is no future outside of God's plans and outside of God's hands. And Abraham shows that he's understood that when he trusts God and is willing to live as a foreigner on earth. That's the point of Hebrews, isn't it? He trusts that his future will be delivered, whatever else happens, because God is the one on whom his future depends. Now, buying this land, not marrying his son off to a, a, a local woman with a different God. And if the future is in God's hands, not ours, what a reassurance that has. It, it allows us to continue to make radically different decisions, radically difficult decisions in this world, seemingly endangering our own future, our children's future, because we're trusting God. From Abraham's line, you see, would come a son, not a son of Abraham, but the son of God. That's why uh, when um, Abraham is called to sacrifice his son in chapter 22, that is such a powerful image. You know, God never intended Abraham to sacrifice his son. One of the reasons that story is there is because God did intend to sacrifice a son. But it was his son. The future doesn't depend on what great sacrifices Abraham makes or what great sacrifices we make. The future depends on the great sacrifice that God makes. We can have a future. However much we mess things up now, however weak we are, we have a glorious future ahead of us. As individuals, as a church, we have a glorious future. Whatever happens to the, the great men, whatever is going on in, in the denomination, whatever else is happening, we have a glorious future because it depends on God, not on men. Now, I know we've had a bit of a race through those ideas and through all these chapters. That's one of the reasons we've got a, a question time. Um, Andrew uh, has mentioned that already, but please do ask any questions where I've been unclear, where you don't understand what's going on. But the key point is clear, I think. And it's a question for you. Will you have faith? Will you trust God? We can do, whoever we are, whatever we've done. We can have faith, whatever we fear, however we feel. We can take God at his word. We can do what he says. We can let Jesus take us to the promised land. Here's the question. Will you? Let me lead us in prayer.